This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Are you guys ready to study God's Word together this morning? Turn to Luke chapter 1. Turn to Luke chapter 1. If you have followed Jesus for a length of time, this morning's passage may seem familiar to us, but I hope and pray this morning that the familiarity of the text would not cause us to miss what God might teach us from it this morning. Christmas is a season of preparation. There are a lot of preparations that go on. For example, how many have not put their Christmas trees up yet? Okay, couple. All right. So most people have put Christmas trees up if you're going to put a Christmas tree up. There are Christmas decorations to hang, right? There are parties to be held. There are family gatherings. Uh, There are presents and shopping uh, to do. I'm not going to ask if you have finished your Christmas shopping because more than likely most of you in the room have not even started your Christmas shopping. I won't ask that question, but there are are preparations that have to be made. And and one of the questions that I ask myself often uh, during the Christmas season is, is, Chris, will you prepare your heart to make room for the Christ child? Are you preparing your heart to experience the manger of Jesus, or are you simply driving by and just going with the customs and going with the flow? And, and it is very, very tempting, even for people like me who are very well versed in Christmas and very well versed in the things of the church, to simply drive by and never truly experience Christmas because of all the things of Christmas. And this week and next week, we're going to be looking at Luke chapters 1 and 2 to think about the manger. And we're going to look this week at preparing for the manger because I want to encourage you to be preparing your hearts for what Jesus Christ might do in your life by awakening inside of you a renewed appreciation, a renewed sense of wonder, a renewed sense of astonishment over the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation that Jesus Christ, who has existed since eternity past in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, set aside His kingly crown and entered into our earthly existence here. We need to be renewed in the wonder and the astonishment of that heavenly supernatural reality. Paul David Tripp, in his Advent devotional, Come, Let Us Adore Him, at the very beginning, this is the first paragraph, the introduction of the book, he said, It is a mind-boggling, hard-to-grasp, awesome story, unlike any other story ever told. But what makes this story so wonderful and so important is not that its plot is way beyond anything you would have ever conceived. What makes this story vital to know and understand is that it is not a well-crafted fantasy. The thing that should make you stop in your tracks, activate your heart and mind, and fall to your knees is that this story is real. It took place in real time, at real locations, with real people. 
All human history was marching to the specific point in time when this story would unfold. And the implications of the events of this story reach to everyone who has lived since. The Christmas story is the story of stories. I want to invite you this morning as we read Luke 1 to be processing how God might prepare your heart. How your heart may be prepared this Christmas for the manger. For you see, it is very, it is very likely that you could decorate all of your halls. You could deck them all with boughs of holly. And even sing fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. But what's to separate that from any other wreath you put on your door during the year? It is very likely that you could have gathering after gathering in your home and bake pie after pie, a ham and a turkey. But then the question becomes, what separates this from any other family gathering throughout the year? And you may buy gift after gift after gift for those whom you love. But I want you to know that those who are the furthest away from God on this planet are doing the same this week. And so how are you preparing your heart and making room for the Christ child? This morning, I want to go to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to begin in verse 26. And we're going to look at very ordinary people this morning. The Christmas Story is, is, is comprised of real, ordinary people. And when we're talking ordinary, we mean ordinary of ordinary. Mary and Joseph were just like you and me. They were commoners. They were common townspeople. Not many people knew their name. But there was preparation that had gone on in their hearts to bring them to this point where this heavenly announcement would be made. And so in verse 26, we pick this up in Luke's gospel. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you're anything like me, 
and you read your scriptures, you walk through the Gospels or we walk through the book of Acts like we have this fall, oftentimes we can put these uh, these biblical figure, the, these, these folks from the, uh, from the narratives that we read in God's redemptive history, and we can almost make them our fairy tale figures of the faith. Like they're no different than our Marvel figures, they're no different than our G.I. Joe figures, and no different than any from uh, cartoons or movies we watch today. And so we kind of see them as superhuman, X Men almost. And we forget that these were real human beings just like you and me today. And I wonder today if we would just put ourselves into the shoes or, or perhaps we should say the sandals of Mary and Joseph and to process this heavenly announcement the way that she would have, the way that he would have. And then let's process through that and fast forward 2,000 years later and ask the questions that their example would be asking us because they give us a great example several great examples of what it means to have hearts that are ready for the Christ child and so that's what we're going to look at this morning I'm going to ask you three questions and these questions are going to come from the example of Mary and Joseph because their example prompts us to ask these questions, I believe. And here's the first one. Will you recognize the authority of the Lord? Will you recognize the authority of the Lord? Now, if you fast forward down to the end of the paragraph, which I just read, verses 37 and 38, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Even the barren will become pregnant and even a virgin will conceive. And look at Mary's response in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, oftentimes, I believe that we, we picture Mary as this saintly human. And, and there are those among us who wrongly attribute uh, a, a, a saint type figure to her. And that she just simply walked around with a halo over her head. And upon receiving these instructions and this information, she probably just responded with, Behold, I am a servant of... You know, that, okay, that might make for really good TV. But there was a lot of stuff that brought her to that conclusion. There was a lot of wrestling that brought her to that response. And so how did she get there? Well, let's, let's, let's follow along for a moment. In verse 26, the announcement comes from the angel Gabriel. And so this was a, he, this was a heavenly announcement. Now she's at home minding her own business. She's probably sweeping the floors. Maybe she's loading the dishwasher. I don't know. But she's just doing what a young teenage girl in the first century world would have been doing. She's minding her business, not bothering anyone. And all of a sudden, a heavenly messenger appears to her. And so that changes everything. Then you go to verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
not the king, not the mayor, not your daddy. The Lord is with you. It goes on, verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. With God. And Mary would have been a good Jewish girl. She would have been a theist. She would have been a worshiper of God. And this angel says that he is from him. And then go to verse 32. It's getting even more specific. Do you see the progression here in the text? So it goes, you you have found favor with God. Verse 32, this son whom you will bear, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Mary had any doubts, any questions of whom this angel was representing. She has all of her questions answered at this point, because you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, we first see the title most high God for God Almighty in exchange between Abraham and Melchizedek. It became a common title for God by his people. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 26, it had become so common a title among God's people for their God that King Nebuchadnezzar called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego servants of the Most High God. So Mary knew that this greeting came with heavenly authority. And she knew heavenly authority when she heard it. And this changed everything for her. I wonder this morning if there are those in the room who would wake up this morning to heavenly authority and recognize that this announcement, that this Christ child who has come, this is not a fairy tale, this is not make-believe, or to quote our new brother from this morning. This is not in contrast with science. This is reality. There is authority here of the one who is making this announcement. And Mary recognized it. I wonder this morning, in preparing your heart for the arrival of Jesus, would you recognize the authority of God? The one from whom He is coming. Now, Got to get back to our girl here, right? So she's wrestling now. She's wrestling. She knows that this is a heavenly announcement. She knows that this is different from anything she's ever experienced in her average, ordinary, boring life. And so she asks a question. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's wrestling, right? Go down to verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. I'm going to do this very G-rated, all right? If anybody knew that she was a virgin, it was Mary, right? I mean, she would know. And so she's responding the only way that she knew how to respond. How how am I going to bear a son when I know that I have been chased before the Lord? She's asking a simple question. And so in recognizing the authority of God, here's what I believe that Mary gives us a great example of. She shows us a healthy way 
to question God. She shows us a, a, a healthy way to question God. Have you ever read something in your Bible and you're thinking, God, really? I mean, this whole love your enemy thing, this whole turn the other cheek, are you, you sure about that, right? I mean, have you ever read something in the scriptures that you're thinking, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Or you're praying, you're praying for someone, you're praying about something, and the answer to that prayer, you're just scratching your head wondering, what in the world is God up to? Or there are circumstances that come your way that completely blindsided you. It's rocked your world. And you're wondering, God, why? What is all this about? You see, our human temptation is to tell God all the reasons why he's wrong. Our human response and our sinfulness is to lash out, is to shake our fists at the sky and, and blame God. But what Mary shows us here is a healthy way to question God. God is not intimidated by mine or your questions. It's an okay thing to ask why. It's an okay thing to ask, but God, how? Or God, when? It's okay to ask those things. James chapter 1 tells us that if anyone needs wisdom, ask God and He will give it to you. It's an okay thing to question God. We just need to make sure that we are questioning God in a healthy way, in a respectful way, in a reverent way that is in in, in recognition of his great authority. And Mary knew that she was addressing the most high God. But not only see a healthy way to question God, see a humble way to trust God. Because in the questioning, in the confusion, in the not understanding how scientifically and biologically it would be possible for a virgin human girl to bear a child at the very end of all things. Mary says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be. Let it be. The Beatles were on to something. There's trust. And that's where you and I, when we come to the end of our understanding. When we come to the end of our explanations. And when it seems like there's no logical explanation for X, Y or Z, spiritually speaking, before God. After questioning in a healthy way, after wrestling in a spiritual way. We trust in a humble way. Just the way Mary did. So in preparation for the manger this year, I wonder, will you, like Mary, recognize the authority of the Lord? Because the authority changes everything. If I had come to Mary and said, behold, <laughs> you're going to bear a son. It wouldn't carry a lot of weight. But because the authority of God it carried a lot more. Number two, 
Will you exercise humility before the Lord? Will you exercise humility before the Lord? Now, we don't know exhaustive information about Mary, but what we do know about her is that she was young, extremely young, probably only 13 or 14 years old. We know that she was extremely common. There was nothing great about her. She was not born into royalty. It's probably safe to assume that she uh, was lower on the socioeconomic ladder. But we also know that she was humble. She was very humble. And I'm going to walk you through here and show you how we can know that. If for no other reason, her response in verse 38 shows us that. Now, Mary is the New Testament form of the Old Testament name Miriam, which means exalted one. Now, if anybody knows anything about New Testament scriptures, God says that he will humble those who what themselves? Exalt themselves, and he will exalt those who humble themselves. And Mary's name was Mary, which meant exalted one. So her very name gives her away in her humility. Now, she was engaged to marry a man named Joseph. Now, it was customary at this time for girls to be engaged by puberty. Very different time, very different culture. The wedding was usually a year or so away from their engagement, and they were married at the end of that period of time. And they were assured to be virgins until their marriage. Now, here's what we have to understand. The first century world was not the hookup culture that 21st century America is. It just wasn't. Mary and Joseph were not friends with benefits. There was a whole system here in place that assured both of their chastity until they would be married. And Mary was. She was chaste. She was pure. She was humble. That's how the scriptures describe Mary. But I want you to see a, a key phrase here in verse 30 about Mary. Because we can come to a lot of wrong conclusions about Mary and her greatness. Verse 30 gives us the clue of everything we need to know about Mary being the mother of Jesus. Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Mary was not chosen to carry the Son of God because of how great she was. She was chosen to carry the Son of God because of how great and grace-giving our God is. It was an undeserved, unmerited gift and favor upon her. And brothers and sisters, it is the same for us 2,000 years later. I'm rejoicing over our brother and our sister we have seen baptized today. But I want you to know that there is nothing great in and of them of why they're walking with Jesus today. It's because they're walking with a great Savior who has given great favor and unmerited grace upon them in salvation. There's nothing they've done to earn it. They're simply receiving what God is doling out. And it was the same for Mary in this choice. Now we see in her submission, 
great humility here. So let's walk through, and I want to show you a good definition of biblical humility and how we see that played out here in the life of Mary. Now, C.J. Mahaney, in his great little book called Humility, True Greatness, which I encourage you to read. It's a great read. He says that biblical humility is this. Honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. And so here's what humility does. Number one, humility sees our great God. Now, as we have walked through this first paragraph, I've already shown you that progression of who this God is. Now, after Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth, she breaks out into song, a song of praise. And beginning in verse 47, you see this great psalm here in the book of Luke. And here we see a whole host of things about our great God. Today, the, the word of the day is preparation. There was a lot of preparation that had gone on in Mary's heart up to this, before this announcement. Because the way in which she breaks forth in praise and the way in which she recounts all the greatness and the goodness and the character of her God shows that she knew who he was. She knew what he was about and she recognized him whenever he spoke. I'm going to go very quickly through here, but I want you to just see some of the ways in which Mary knew God. And seeing her great God. In verse 47, He is Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She knew Him as that. In verse 49, For He who is mighty has done great things for me. He is mighty. The second part of verse 49, she says, Holy is His name. He is totally separate and other from anything else in all of creation. He is holy. Next, He is merciful. Verse 50, and His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is when you are owed a great punishment and then the judge takes that away and doesn't give you what you deserve. And Mary says that my God is merciful, but in order for him to be merciful, he also must be judge. He is judge. In verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Our God is a God who is a judge over sin and wickedness and evil. And therefore, we can know what mercy is because when he restrains it, we recognize mercy. But we cannot Erase the fact that he still judged. Verse 53, he is satisfying. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has filled the hungry with good things. He is satisfying. In verse 54, he is help. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Here's the picture I want you to see. Mary knew God. She knew God. 
She knew his greatness. She knew his holiness. She knew his works, his ways. She knew his mercy. She knew his judgments. And she has found him worthy of her obedience and her following. And so the first step to humility is looking at the greatness of the one you're bowing before. And in preparation for the nativity, in preparation for the manger, I wonder this year, would you pause and reflect and see the authority and the greatness and the holiness of the one who is sending Christ your way? Humility sees our great God, but then humility sees our great need. You see, you cannot see the greatness of God. You cannot see the holiness of God. You cannot see the might and the authority of God and not be left recognizing your extreme poverty. And your extreme, low, meek, desperate, spiritual state. Here's where we should be astounded this morning. Because in recounting all the greatness, the goodness, and the might of her God, look at verse 48. Mary says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. It reminds me of the parable of Jesus, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee coming before God and beating his chest and saying, look at me of how good I am, God, and how I'm not like all the rest of my peers and the wicked around me. But the tax collector, who was one of the most wicked and vile citizens of his peers, they all hated him and looked at him with consternation. He comes before God, be merciful to me, a sinner recognizes his spiritual poverty. See, this is such an act of humility, and it's one in which you and I should be bowing before our God this Christmas. Saying, Father, we're just like Mary. That you've looked upon me, little old humble me, of such low estate, And now you call me one of your favored ones through your son, Jesus Christ. See, humility sees our great God, but humility also sees our great need. You see, pride, pride says that science trumps faith. Pride says that I know a better way. Humility says The authority of God defines my way. Pride says that I am the master of my domain and I will make my own spirituality. Humility says that I am a creation and you are the creator. You get to define my eternity and my temporal here on earth. Pride says I don't need help from anyone. Humility says I'm completely helpless Apart from my creator. Humility. Assesses ourselves rightly. In response to getting a right view. Of our God. 
Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, the scriptures that Mary would have understood, that Mary would have read herself, verses 1 and 2 says this, This says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this... Is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This Christmas could be the first Christmas that you tremble at his word, that you recognize his authority. And that you recognize that this isn't just simply a story where we pull out our our uh, nativity action figures and put them alongside all of our other favorite action figures that just are simply symbols of a fairy tale. But know that this is a real story with real people responding to a real God. And once we get a picture of that real God and I assess my desperation in light of Him, I recognize His authority and I exercise humility in response. Third question I would ask you, In light of Mary's example, and now we're also going to see some of the example of her her husband-to-be, Joseph. Will you follow in obedience to the Lord? Will you follow in obedience to the Lord? Now we've already looked at verse 38 a couple of times here. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord, let it be. Let it be to me according to... To your word. Such trust. Such obedience. Maybe a better word would even be submission. I yield to your plan. I yield to your ways. I follow you. Not my own understanding. Not my own intellect. Not my own reasoning. I'm following you. Now remember... These biblical characters were not spiritual X-Men. They didn't have superhuman abilities. They didn't have a gift that they had to suppress in high school so that no one else knew about it, right? These were still ordinary average people that God was choosing to do extraordinary things through. And here's what I want you to know this morning. This is the way our God still operates. God still mercifully, gracefully places favor upon men, women, boys, and girls just like you in this room and calls you to repentance, shines the light of the gospel into your heart, and you respond through faith in that gospel, and then you follow him with your life. And then what he does is he takes your ordinary, boring, average life and he wants to do extraordinary, spiritual, missional work through you. And Mary was obedient to that. Now go, over, go back to Matthew chapter 1 and I want you to see very briefly how Joseph wrestled with this.
In Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and makes basically the same heavenly pronouncement to him that he had done to his fiancée, Mary. In verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I'm just going to stop there. You can read the rest of the story. Friends, I'm going to tell you this morning, this is all we need to know about Joseph at this point. He woke up and he did as the Lord commanded him. That's a great memory verse. If you're looking for a good memory verse this week, Joseph did as the Lord commanded him. In chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, this is after Jesus is born, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Look at verse 14. So Joseph rose, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. He did as the Lord commanded him. Go to verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. He did as the Lord commanded him. I love this picture. I love the picture. Here's the reality. God doesn't always speak in dreams. This isn't the normal pattern of God, and there's nothing in the New Testament that prescribes to us that we should always have dreams and just simply follow those dreams. This is prescriptive and not necessarily descriptive. Sorry, this is descriptive and not necessarily prescriptive about the way God leads all of his children. However, the example for us to pull from this, to learn from, is that God commanded Joseph. And he did as the Lord commanded him over and over again. God commanded Mary and she immediately trusted and obeyed him. Friends, this is the spiritual physic of Jesus. God commands us through his scriptures. This is how we follow the command of God today. This is how we obediently walk with Jesus today is we know the word. We read the word. We know what God's about and we know what He's not about. We obey what He commands us to do. We stay away from what He tells us to stay away from. And we do as the Lord commands us. You see, it's going to be really hard for us to prepare our hearts for the Christ child this Christmas if we're walking in disobedience. So I just want to gracefully and lovingly ask you that question today. Are you walking disobediently with God this December? Are there areas of your life where you know that you were willfully disobeying God? Are there attitudes and dispositions that you are holding in your heart and in your life that you've almost lied to yourself and given yourself a right to feel this way and a right to act this way because of someone else's actions. Well, that's disobedience. And God would want to call you out of that this Christmas. 
season? Is there a lifestyle behind closed doors that you are living that no one else knows about, but you know about it? And you're keeping it a secret, but you're walking disobediently with God. It's going to be hard to prepare your hearts for the nativity if you were actively, willfully walking in disobedience. I would implore you this morning, turn to your merciful, holy, loving Heavenly Father and release those things to Him in humility and say, God, Father, I need your help. I don't want to walk disobediently. I want to walk obediently because it's what Jesus ultimately came to do. Now, as we get ready to close in just a moment, I want to go down one more road. Because up until this point, there's not a lot in this sermon that would separate this sermon between a Jewish sermon and a Christian sermon. Because we've talked a lot about a young Jewish girl and young Jewish boy, Mary and Joseph, following Yahweh God and honoring Him and His name. What separates? What's the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is all of this about? The authority of God, the humility that we should have before Him in walking in obedience. Who makes all of that possible? It's the Christ child. It's the child whom this whole account is about. Because see, here's what happened. The baby who was born in the manger, which we're going to look at more specifically next Sunday, he didn't stay a baby. He grew up. And he walked perfectly with God. As a matter of fact, Jesus was so bold in his own words. He said, I always do the things that pleases the Lord. I always do the things that please the Lord. And it's because he was perfect. You see, he perfectly obeyed. He was perfectly humble. And he perfectly recognized authority. So that those of us who couldn't might have that on our account. As a matter of fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says that Jesus was so obedient, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that this may happen today. And so what I want you to know this Christmas, as you're preparing your hearts, as you're preparing your heart for the manger, is that it's the Christ child. It's His birth, yes. It's His life, yes. It's His death, yes. But it's also His resurrection in totality that gives sinners and those of humble estate like you and like me, like Mary, like Joseph, the hope of knowing our God. I'm not sure where today finds you. I think there are some of you in here who you are still wrestling with the gospel. You're wrestling with it just like Ankit did, just like Tiana did. And I want you to know it's good. Keep wrestling. Just like Mary was just discerning what kind of thing this is. I want to encourage you to wrestle. 
But can I also just make an appeal to you to be careful how long you wrestle. At some point, we have to be like Mary and we have to submit and say, behold, I don't understand all things. I can't explain all things, but behold, I'm a servant of the Most High God. Let it be according to your word. And so I would encourage you today, today could be the day of salvation for you. This Christmas could be a Christmas of salvation for you to repent, believe, and turn towards Jesus. For most of us in this room, we could be coming from a variety of different places. From spiritual highs, spiritual lows, great victories in holiness and walking with Jesus. We could be in some very dark places and sin and disobedience. Here's what I want you to know. If you're a follower of Jesus... Run towards the gospel and not away from it. Come bow prostrate at the feet of Jesus. Give him your sins he's already died and paid for. And stop harboring them. And stop giving excuses for them. Perhaps that could be your Christmas present to Jesus. Is surrender and submission to him. Come. And let the grace and the mercy and the love of the manger wash over you. Don't sit in that. Don't sit in the mire. God loves you too much for it. He sent his son for it. So come, run towards the gospel and not away from him this Christmas. Will you prepare your hearts for the manger? Ask yourselves these three probing questions this morning and let's respond to our Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the example of these first century commoners. Thank you for giving us the example that salvation in Jesus doesn't come through royalty. It doesn't come through fame. It doesn't come through status wealth, but it comes through humility, humble servitude. And nowhere have we seen that more readily on display than in the face of Jesus Christ in the manger. Jesus Christ in His humble life. Jesus Christ in His humble death. But also in His victorious resurrection. So, Father, turn our hearts towards you. Prepare our hearts for the arrival of your Son. Cause us to be renewed in our astonishment, our amazement, and the wonder of the Incarnation. Do a work internally inside of us so that we may show the work of God externally through us. Father, do a work in all of our hearts, specifically to where each one of us is. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor, the glory, the thanksgiving for what you're doing in and through our lives. And we pray all this in the name of that baby in the manger, Jesus. Amen.